The Courage to Lead, episode 82. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Uh, please help me welcome my guest, Donna Coles. Donna Coles is the total executive coach. When she says total, she means that she has the knowledge and experience to not only help her clients build leadership competencies like planning and decision-making, but she also helps her clients build executive presence and interpersonal skills important to leadership success. She can focus on the whole person. Donna knows that competent leadership requires vision and the social skills to successfully share the vision with others. Donna earned her master's degree in clinical psychology from the University of Dayton, holds multiple certifications in leadership coaching and executive coaching, and has many years of experience supporting the development of leaders, executives, and people from all walks of life. She's the author of two books, Lead or Someone Else Will, A Coach's Guide to Leadership, and Your Life at Its Best, The Life Balance Workbook, both books available on Amazon.com. Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to, to talk to you. I definitely want to learn more about your background, how you chose uh, clinical psychology as your degree and how that has helped you uh, working All with right. leaders. And I definitely want to talk about your books. But before we get started, I have 10 questions. Uh, these are questions that I ask each one of my guests. There were questions made famous on the television show Inside the Actor's Studio, where host James Lipton asked these same questions of his Hollywood guests, Hollywood TV, film, stage stars. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, okay. Donna, if you're ready, I have 10 questions for you. Question number one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word is progress. Progress. And it's because I like to see progress. I like to see change. And you'll find from my discussion with you that I like things to be diversified. So, Absolutely. yeah, progress. Good job. Favorite word. Yeah. Perfect. All right. What is your least favorite word? <laughs> per se. I hate it per se. It either is or it isn't. <laughs> One or right. the other. One or the other. But not um, per se. What turns you on? Oh, doing something new and different so that I have to learn a new skill, learn new information. And so I'm like a, a Googler. I Google new info all the time. Nice. What turns you off? Ah, Close-mindedness. So that I or somebody else has a difficult time taking in information that doesn't confirm what they already know. Yes. Confirmation bias. Absolutely. Confirmation bias. Yes. Absolutely. Um, what sound or noise do you love? <laughs> I love the sound of snoring. Really? Because, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it takes me back to childhood when I used to hear my grandmother snore. And it was just peaceful. Yeah. Knowing that she was there and she may have been in the other room, but just to hear that snore 
kind of lulled me to sleep. It's almost like white noise for me. Nice. What sound or noise do you hate? I hate the sound of a dog barking. Okay. And that's because I don't really understand dogs. <laughs> and so if a dog is barking, he's trying to communicate something and he's not getting through. And if it's incessant, it must be important. And so I hate to hear a dog bark on and on. Excellent. All right. Question seven. <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? Yikes. <laughs> I use that one quite a bit myself. Absolutely. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I'd like to go into IT. Okay. Yeah, I love the whole, see, I'm a left brain person, even though I'm in a right brain profession. And so the whole idea of solving those problems and the, I used to take computer science courses with computer science majors right. and loved it. So yeah, I think that would be cool. That'd be great. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Anything having to do with medical. Okay. <laughs> if it's too much, it's so weighty. It's, yeah. yeah, it's too much responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And Donna, finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> I've got somebody who needs to talk to you. <laughs> Good job. All right. That is awesome. Okay. So we are going to come back in just a minute. We're going to talk about uh, your background, how you got started, uh, the things you're working on now, your uh, psychology background, how that's helped you not only um, in that field, but also in your coaching and, and working with executives. And then we're going to talk about your books. And at some point, we're going to transition into talking about courage and leadership. All right. All right. Sounds so, good. All right. So listeners, we'll be back right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And we are back with my guest, Donna Coles. Donna, thank you again for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Sure. So tell me how you got started and tell me how you chose the clinical psychology degree. Okay. Um, if we go back to college, I wanted to be an English teacher. My English teacher in high school was really my, my hero. I loved her. And so I wanted to be just like her. So my freshman year, I started out English major and I had to read Beowulf. So I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And so I decided, just like LeBron James took his skills to South Beach, I took all of my credits to psychology, and that was that. So it nice. wasn't that I necessarily started <laughs> out wanting to work in the area of psychology. It's been great, sure. but I wanted to teach English. Wow. Yeah, I remember reading Beowulf, and a lot of the 
old English. I was a literature major. So yeah, I'm right there with you. (laughs) And so with your psychology degree, you actually taught for a while, right? Yes, I was a tenured professor in psychology. Um, And I loved the idea of teaching and giving people information. But I liked even more to be able to develop courses. And so because I was a trainer, I've done so many things related to psychology, Um, training and developing training courses and developing courses for the college. That really was what I wanted to do. So after I got my tenure, I thought, hmm, what do I want to do now? And I decided to leave and just continue to do training on my own. And so that training, did that include just uh, students or is that when you started working with executives and and starting to coach? Well, I started out doing soft skills training and then I went into human resource type topics like how to write policies and procedures. Mm. So on my own, because I've been an entrepreneur for a long, long time, back in the 80s, I started entrepreneurship. I started out as a trainer. Uh, my slogan that I kept to myself basically was half flip chart will travel. <laughs> yeah. And and I did. There were times when I would be gone a couple of weeks at a time. Nice. And so when that got to be too much. I pulled back from training and did more work in the office and started psychotherapy mm-hmm. and coaching. Nice. And so who are your patients? Were did you work a lot with executives? I did. Um, There was something called employee assistance Mm -hmm. where executives and managers would be sent because they needed to update their interpersonal skills primarily. But we would talk about their leadership skills, too. And so it sort of spun off from employee assistance into my working with people around their leadership skills on my own. So I've had a lot of concurrence with my career. While I was teaching, I was also, I also had my business that I worked. So I've been an entrepreneur since the 80s. Wow. Well, I know nowadays, uh, one of the big topics is employee engagement. And a lot of executives, a lot of managers don't understand what it means to really engage with their employees. They think talking to them, saying hello to them is engagement. Uh, But that's not even scratching the surface. I'll give you an example of good employee engagement that I was involved in. A professional that I know asked me to come into the organization that he had just taken a vice president level role. And he wanted me to help him to begin to develop good relationships with everybody in the organization, particularly in his division. And so employee engagement in that sense was his, first of all, talking to employees about what he would like to see happen, but he also got from them what they wanted from him. And so I led the discussion as a big focus group. What do you want from your new vice president? And I took notes on it on a flip chart paper. And at the end, I gave it to him as, This is what they say they want. These are your marching orders. He also asked the question of what would you like to know about me in terms of who I am professionally? Mm -hmm. And they were able to ask him questions 
to find out just who is this guy. I think that that was an excellent way of engaging employees to be able to say, you're important to me and I want you to be able to know me. I'm going to get to know you. And I want you to know that my door truly is open. It's not just an open door policy cliche, but because you've been here, you know what's worked and what hasn't worked. I just got here. Engagement means I'm going to engage your history, what you know, so that I'm able to be up to speed as the leader and to help us to move forward. To me, that's engagement. That is engaging. That's really insightful, though, on on that person's part, to say you know the history and I don't. So help help me understand the history so we can get along. And I think that two way communication is important. A lot of employees these days don't have that two way communication. They're spoken to, but they never get a chance to really say what's on their mind or ask the questions they want to ask or know the things they want to know. And I think that's important to really make people feel like they're part of the business rather than just you know working in the business. Yeah, I think that it becomes really cliche to say, who do you ask about the job, the person doing the job? Mm -hmm. Do you really value what that person has to say? Have you been able to begin to understand from the employee's point of view just what the job is about, what the organization is about, what the overall environment is about? There are so many layers within an organization that leaders need to understand and so we want, as, as executives, we want to find out from employees who they are, what they deem is important, what they need in order to improve their ability to contribute to the organization. But what has been tried that didn't work? And is there something about the new environment that could make it work now? Because sometimes employees, they become really discouraged because they may have had a suggestion that didn't work, but, they, but they're sticking with it and they think that it can. Right. And so leaders need to hear about that too. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know if, I think we talked uh, briefly before, worked for a client that they had uh, taken over a smaller company, you know, to grow, to expand in this one market. And that old company, they had a, a mosaic, tile mosaic at the entrance to their building of the company logo. And this new company came in and put carpeting to cover up that old logo. They changed the paint, they changed the name on everything. And it, it was almost seen as disrespectful to the people who work there. Rather than bringing them in and saying, we're all part of the same family now, they tried to wipe out the old company name and it did not go over well. <laughs> and it was only when the managers decided to take that tile mosaic and cut it out of the concrete and then mount it inside the main lobby and then put a timeline up to show the transition from the old company to the new. Yeah. Now everybody felt you you're, you know, you're taking our history into account, right? And you're respecting our history and now we're part of the new team. And so they they felt a lot better being part of that that one new business and it was transitional for everybody. You know, but I don't think I don't think uh, businesses take a lot of stock in that. They kind of come in and put their own their own feel, their own touch on things. You know, when we go through a transition in an organization, I think that it's important for the people in leadership to explain to employees that it's not that what you were doing is incorrect, wrong, insufficient. It was great for its time, 
But since we have a new environment, we're going to add two. We're not going to do something different. We're going to add two because that's really what you're doing in leadership. You're adding to what was in order to create an is. And in that way, like you're saying, it shows respect for the history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Anthony Robbins talks about the six basic human needs that everybody has and, and things that we need to have fulfilled either in a positive way or a negative way. He talks about, we have to have um, the certainty of our job, of our family life, the certainty of our health, uncertainty or variety, because we need that change. We want to feel significant to uh, people, significant to uh, the company that we're working for and the, the people we work with. Um, there needs to be uh, love and connection. There needs to be growth and uh, a way of contributing, giving back. And I think that that one thing of, of feeling significant, you know, for employees, especially talking employee engagement, mm-hmm. as an employee, I want to feel significant. I want to feel like what I'm doing is is beneficial. It's helping someone. It's not just a mundane, you know, turn the screw and send it down the line. I want to feel like I'm contributing somehow. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. It has to do with how leadership has helped to establish a culture. And a lot of times people don't really understand that a new employee coming into the organization needs to learn about the culture as part of the onboarding. And so I think that that lends itself to what you were just talking about, that it's more than just doing the job and the technical part of it. It's knowing that you're significant, that you belong, I worked in an organization once as a consultant, and I asked the people if there were guys in manufacturing, there weren't any women in the room. I asked the guys, you know, what do you tell your family about what you do when you go home? And they said that they couldn't explain what they did. I said, but you make parts. They say, yeah, parts is parts. But do you know what part you make and how important that part is? They said no. Well, what they were manufacturing was something that really had to do with safety. And so I went back to the organization and said, these guys need to know what each part is for, what it does, how important it is. If there's variation, if there's variance, if there's something different, if it's close to being scrapped, but maybe it can be used. Is it related to safety and it shouldn't be used? Let them know what they are doing and how they contribute to the greater whole. And you're going to have a better return on your investment in your employees. And they did. Absolutely. I bet that made a difference. Yeah, I I used to work at Lockheed Aircraft out in California. And I was in the top secret government uh, side of projects. I was not allowed to talk about what I did at the time. But they almost almost every week we would have some kind of a, a meeting where they would show us films and show us how important the projects we were working on were to national safety, to exploration in space, to commuting, you know, on the, the commercial airliners and everything like that, how important everything was that we were doing. And it gave you that sense of of pride. You took we took pride in our work. We took pride in, you know, cleaning the area and making sure we had everything exactly the way we were supposed to. And yeah, I think that's important. That's great. Yeah. Very good. So tell me about your books. You have two great books, Lead or Someone Else Will. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Tell me about that. Well, what I did was I took all of my history having to do with 
the training that I've done with groups, the work that I've done with individuals around leadership. And I thought about what are the principles? What are the real skills that leaders need? And I came up with 31 issues that leaders need to consider. And so with each one of those, I either gave an example from my own coaching or I gave a very practical example of how a leader can incorporate this skill into their own leadership. Bottom line, every one of those chapters provides the reader with something that they can use. It's very practical. Something that they can use in order to add to their leadership style. When I'm working with a leader, it's not that I want them to lead as I do. I'm giving them some suggestions on tools that I've used, perspectives that I've used that have worked, and they can choose to incorporate those into the style that already works for them. Nice. So the leader, someone else will. There's something called the de facto leader, hmm. and the de facto leader, you probably know, is that person in the rank and file who really has the leadership role. You may have the title. but they lead their peers. And so you have to incorporate that de facto leader into the work that you do in leadership, not be put off by it, not be intimidated by it, but allow that de facto leader to help you, to partner with you, to give people what it is that they need so that the whole organization operates well. Nice. So it's 31 issues, very practical. Very cool. Yeah, because I've had clients that I work with say, well, what exactly does that look like? When you talk about effective leadership, um, what does that look like? So giving them examples of what a good communication looks like, giving them an example of what good decision-making looks like. Mm-hmm. You're not telling them specifically what they need to do, but here's, what, here's some examples, and then they can kind of draw from that, right? Right. Nice. Um, you know, when you were talking about decision-making, There are some leaders who are, this is an old phrase, but they're one-trick ponies. Mm -hmm. Remember that phrase? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They have this way of making a decision. That's what they do. And you can always rely on them to use that style. Well, in my book, I describe a number of styles of leadership related to decision-making. Who should be included in the decision-making? How should they be included? helps a person to become a better leader so that you're not using just one way to make your decisions. Absolutely. No, that's great. And then your second book, Your Life at Its Best, a life balance workbook. That is something executives, everybody, I guess, struggles with at some point, right? Yes. Yes. And that leads back to my psychotherapy days. I didn't want to give that up and I don't. When I'm working with a leader, Ultimately, we do talk about life balance. You know, something isn't going well. They're experiencing stress. They're not getting the kind of supports that they need. And I'll tell you, for me, first of all, work-life balance truly is a myth. There's no way that anybody's work should be balanced against 10 other areas of their life. That is imbalance in and of itself. Yes. So I talk about how work should be incorporated into a person's life, that it shouldn't take it over. So if you're walking around with a briefcase as an extra appendage, then you have to look at 
put the briefcase down and enjoy the rest of your life. So that's the one idea from the workbook. The other idea is that your life balance is based upon what's important to you today, right now. Your life balance is going to change based upon how your environment affects you. What's really good is that if you know what's balanced for you, what's important to you, and you have it in front of you on your computer, these are the things that are important to me. This is how I want to spend my time. When a traumatic event occurs and it throws you off, sure, you get thrown off. But what happens is that you've got your life balance definition here waiting for you. And you can reincorporate, reinvest in that life balance description once the effects of the traumatic event are over. So it's not just an exercise, but it's a plan that you can use today in order to determine how to use your time. But it's also a plan to help you to remember what's important to you. Very nice. Yeah, work-life balance, I think, is a misnomer. I agree. Totally. It's, I heard somebody call it uh, work-life harmony because there are going to be times where work takes uh, precedence over some things, or I, I think family always takes precedence over other things that family should always come first, but just finding that, that balance, that harmony to where your life doesn't impact your work, your work doesn't impact your life. They support each other, right? You work to, to create the life that you want rather than live to create the business you want. Right, right. everything in harmony, even how you take care of yourself physically. Mm -hmm. That's part of your life balance. How you take care of yourself intellectually. Do you read? Do you take in information in order to have a more robust understanding of life? Um, All of that goes into your health, your healthiness. Nice. So when you're working with these executives as a, as a executive coach, leadership coach, What's the one thing they're, they're looking for or one thing they're struggling with most? Is there a certain area? Interpersonal relationships, okay. how to communicate what it is that they're thinking, what they want, how to impact the organization, how to impact individuals in a way that's going to be fruitful for everyone. Yeah. And so when I'm working with an executive, they have to look at how their presence impacts whether or not people trust, listen, want to follow. And so we, we work on their presence. Nice. Very nice. So uh, courage. Mm-hmm. Tim, we talked earlier about you love to learn. You always have, right? Google, you Google everything. My wife and I, we sit on the couch as we're watching TV shows if there's a word we don't know, if there's a, a, a place we've never been, we're looking it up to try to see, you know, what's going on and, and learn everything we can. Um, that's kind of classified as intellectual courage, the, the courage to set aside your long-held beliefs and knowledge you currently have to make room for new knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, discipline courage to, to be able to set a plan and stick with that plan and, and not get swayed from the shiny objects that are around or uh, failures or, or setbacks that, that happen. As you're working with these different folks, either in your clinical psychology days or as a, a business coach, leadership coach, um, is there a type of courage you see that people don't exhibit as much as they, they should or a type of courage maybe they need? 
the type of courage, I think that it's related to moral courage in that sometimes it's difficult to deliver the difficult message. Yes. And people put off delivering the difficult message or they put it on somebody else's plate or they do it at a distance. I had some clients who talked with me after this occurred, but the way that they found out that they were laid off is that the phone at their desk would ring. And so phone would ring and they would be told you no longer have a job. And so people were sitting at their desk hoping that their phone wouldn't ring. Wow. Yeah. When you're in a leadership role, you have got to be able to stand up for, stand up to the decisions that you make and help people to work through those decisions, even when you are delivering the difficult message. Absolutely. Yeah. Those difficult conversations, that's where this podcast kind of started. I had a couple of clients who were asking, you know, when I told them, do you have to be a stronger leader, a more courageous leader? They said, what does that look like? And so I did some research to try to find uh, articles on courage. And these are some of the things that came up, the intellectual courage, moral courage, the social courage, the, you know, the ability to say what needs to be said, even if it's unpopular, standing yeah. up and, and saying what you need to do. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're working with leaders, what what is a trait that you think more leaders need to need to have? I mean, we've talked about the interpersonal skills and the ability to make decisions, but is there a certain trait that you look for um, in a leader? The ability to let go. Hmm. You don't have to have your finger in every project. You don't have to know step-by-step step what's going on. You hired people because you believe that they had the ability to do the job, yes. even at the, the division level, even at the vice president level. Don't look over their shoulders. Let them do what they need to do. But for some executives, it's hard. Very difficult for them not to be involved. Um, (laughs) Maybe it's because they don't know how they fit into the organization. I think that that's really it. They don't know how they fit. But maybe they need to be not at their desk, not in their office, but out in the community, out working with people that are at their level in the industry, getting involved in a think tank, something that allows them an executive level to be able to come back to the organization and contribute at that level so that they leave people alone so that they can do their work. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think it ties back to the significance that the relevance, if, if they're not involved, somehow they're not relevant anymore. And I think that's why I had a couple of clients who, Every decision had to come through them. Yeah, Everything that went on in the business had to come through them. And, and I said, well, you're the bottleneck. You're why your business can't scale. You are why your, your employees you know, are, are leaving or walking away from the job. You hire them based on their skills mm-hmm. and then you micromanage. That's A lot of people don't realize that delegation is a stepwise process. Mm-hmm. That the way that you delegate to people is based upon their skill level and what they're able to manage. If you've delegated to the wrong person, then you've given them more responsibility than they can handle, or you've given them not enough. Delegating means that you're able to let go at the proper level so that that person can do the job at the proper level and everybody's happier. 
But again, like you were just saying, if they've got to have their fingers in everything, you you really wind up with an organization of groupthink. Yes, yes, yes. Everybody's looking for what you have to say. And they're saying, well, this is what she told me to do. This is how she told me to do it. It's on her. Yes. Yeah, we talk about that too in the uh, employee engagement. Um, There's a thing called discretionary effort, right? If I come into a new job, I bring all the knowledge that I have from school, the previous jobs that I have. I can share that knowledge, but so many employees, because they don't feel like they're engaged, they don't feel like they're important, um, they choose not to give. You know, it's like, yes, I could help with that, but that's not what I'm paid to do. That's not my job. They don't ask me to do, they told me to do this, that's all I'm doing. And I think managers who then get upset with their employees need to look internally at what are you doing that's keeping them from from giving that discretionary effort. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow. Very cool. So given the opportunity, would you would you do things the same way if you had it to do all over again? Would you go back and would you would you read Beowulf and study? Or would you go to the clinical oh. psychology site? When I was about 30, I said that my goal was to become the old sage on the hill that people would come to for advice and information. And here I am. I mean, the hill isn't really that high, but (laughs) I'm here and I'm leaving a legacy. So I think that I have done so much to contribute to to life and and work and and other people's lives that I I don't think I would change anything. Nice. Because even when I faltered, I learned from it and that has given me wisdom that I impart to other people. Excellent. Absolutely. So what's next for you? I mean, you've got the the books, you've got the degrees, you've got, you know, all the work that you're doing with the, the, what's next? Where do you go from here? You know, I started my third book the other night. Nice. And I said, I'm not writing another book. (laughs) (laughs) Writing books is really an altruistic effort. But I I just don't want to do that. Hmm. Just before the pandemic began, I had shut down my, my physical office and decided to work from home. And so that's a good thing that I did because here I am working from home and using Zoom and and the telephone to do my work. And it's been going really well. Uh, Post-pandemic or when things get get to a low enough simmer, I might want to go back out on the road because I used to do keynote speaking and uh, not necessarily, I don't think I want to do training, but maybe speaking engagements might be good. Getting in front of an audience again might be cool. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think after the pandemic, they're going to they're gonna need some help. A lot of the businesses, I think, are going to need help re-engaging with their employees. It's one thing to have the employees around you. Now that we're working remotely and having these virtual teams, I think that engagement has, has been lost a little bit. I think com- mm-hmm. companies are going to have to go back and, and relook at how they engage with their employees. Yeah, yeah. I used to do employee retreats at different levels. Mm-hmm. And so that might be the way to go for some organizations to have a retreat, to yeah. bring people in for the day. 
to make it fun, to make it entertaining, also educational updates about the organization. That might be the way the thing to do. That'd be great. To, to stick with virtual employee life, but to bring them in for a retreat. Yeah. So if anybody wants a retreat, give me a call. <laughs> That'll be great. <laughs> well, and I'm sure people are going to want to reach out to you and find out more about you. So where can they find you? Do, do you have a website? I do. It's totalexecutivecoach.com. Perfect. And your books, are your books available off your website? They're available off the website. They're available on amazon.com. Perfect. They can go to the website and click the link and it'll take them to an area where they can make, make their purchase. Awesome. Very if cool. If they call me, they can telephone me at 216 216- Mm-hmm. 513-5709. I want to do this like a commercial. Again, <laughs> two, I had to get it out. It's 216-513-5709. But wait, there's more. <laughs> That's great. Donna, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast and sharing with everybody. I will have all of these links down in the show notes so people know how to get in touch with you. And I hope they do order your books. And I hope they do reach out to you to, uh, to help them once the pandemic lifts, help them do some of those uh, employee retreats. That would be great. Yeah, it would. Very cool. It would. Well, thank I you very much. All right, listeners, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Hope you're taking notes because uh, there are a lot of good takeaways from here. And if you did, Uh, like the podcast, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now.